This episode of It's All Genre to Me was brought to you by my mother. Melissa Baldwin has been an avid supporter of Moon Knight, watches the show multiple times, calls and texts me weekly to discuss, and listens to the episode every week to uh, hear more of our thoughts and opinions. Now, if you're an avid listener like Melissa Baldwin, um, I hope you would consider supporting the show by potentially buying an ad read such as this one. Now, during these ad reads, um, I'm willing to do just about anything that I don't consider to be completely morally corrupt. So if you want to spend $10 for a beginning, ending, or mid-roll ad read, um, you know, if it's a minute or two, I'll read a scene from Jim Carrey's The Mask. I'll uh, do a voice. I'll do a birthday shout-out. Um, I'll read your Tinder bio. I will um, read... I- I'll promote your Poshmark. Hey, go go to my mom's Poshmark. That's good. Um, I can tell people to go to your Poshmark. And... Uh, we can, we can also maybe set up some dates. Make it be like the classifieds. You know, if you like pina coladas, uh, getting caught in the rain. Uh, if you, I don't know, hate yoga and have half a brain. I don't know what that fucking song is about. Um, maybe you can find someone else who loves genre television and Moon Knight as much as we do. So please feel free to like, subscribe, and buy an ad. Thanks so much. They don't look very friendly. Hide. Hide. Come on, New York. Dubai. Watch out. Watch out. Oh no. To warrant. Oh god. Mark, you've got this. But if I'm you, that means I've got this too. This week on the podcast, we discuss Moon Knight, episode 6. One podcast to rule them all. One podcast to find them. One podcast to bring them all. And in the darkness, find them. The game is on, Watson. I've got a bad feeling about this. What if I'm not the hero? What if I'm the podcast guy? I'm made of rocks, as you can see. But don't let that Unless you made a scissors. <laughs> Just a little rock, paper, scissors joke for you. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. I am Genre Podcast. It's all genre to me. We're gonna need a bigger podcast. We could have been killed, or worse, podcasted. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. I am Groot. The Monkey Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. Welcome back to Moon Knight. The finale. We are talking Moon Knight. Oh my god. Holy. I, I like, 
need still more time to process this episode. Yes, we have been sitting here in almost silence (laughs) for like 30 minutes. Just trying to wrap our heads around this episode because, wow. Okay, it was so short. It was only 44 minutes, including the credits, which we were just looking. The last episode, episode five, was 50 minutes, and the episode before that was 53. Yeah, so they could have had way more stuff, and they kind of just chose not to. I don't know. I think they had a list of, like, these are all the plot points that we need to wrap up these are all of our loose threads do you think kevin feige said they used up all their minutes too early (laughs) (laughs) too many minutes with alexander the great too many minutes with uh jousting i know i'm like oh so much of that shit should have just been cut right out god okay we might have to get right into spoiler country because i feel like i want to talk about what we didn't see in this episode as much as i want to talk about what we did see and i feel like that that counts as spoilers I agree. Okay, now boarding. Hello everyone, this is your captain speaking. We will be beginning our descent into spoiler country. The local time is spoiler o'clock. Please use caution as you listen on because, as I said, it's all spoilers from here. Wow, okay. I guess I'll just launch right into this recap for you and then we'll get talking about the episode. So usually we kind of break each episode down into the acts, you know, trying to identify the story beats. I think we agreed that this episode didn't really have that as much. It is the finale. And so kind of it is the end of the larger story arc that encompasses Mm -hmm. all six episodes. So a lot of just stuff happened, not necessarily organized into acts. But anyway, we, uh, we get Layla. She's trying to take Harrow out on her own since Mark is dead. Spoilers from last week. Harrow succeeds in releasing Amit. Layla frees Kanchu. Mark rejects the field of reeds where he has ended up because his heart is balanced now. It's truly miraculously easy. Yeah. He goes back and saves Stephen. Happens nice and quick. Mm-hmm. They come back to life. They do have bullets in them. But Mar- or Layla frees Kanchu, and so Kanchu goes and Mark becomes his avatar again. I was trying to think of a verb for that, and I don't know if there is one. Avataring. Avataring. Layla also avatars. She yeah. becomes Tawarit's avatar. Yeah. Tawarit's avatar. Yeah. Then they have this big old fight where Amit fights Khonshu, and Harrow fights Mark slash Steven plus Layla. Mm-hmm. Mark and Steven now have this fantastic back and forth where they are able to switch back and forth at will, which is kind of what we predicted would happen with yeah. them by yeah. the end. If they didn't get two bodies in the multiverse. Yes, that that was the other theory. They succeed in kind of beating Harrow to a pulp, except it's not Mark or Steven. It is somebody else. Whoa. Who? Somebody else. They bind Amit into Harrow's body. Khonshu tells Mark to kill him, and he won't. And then Mark and Steven wake up back in the hospital with Dr. Harrow. He basically tells them, yep, you're you're still crazy. This is real life. And Mark and Steven are like, nah, this is not. Yeah. I don't care if we disagree on this. We are going to go save the world. And they wake up back in their flat in London. And that's where the episode ends. Wow. Except we also get a post credit scene. <gasps> Uh, which we were like, we were both standing there in stunned silence by the end of this episode because we're like, how can this be it? There has to be more. And there was indeed, we get Harrow waking up in a hospital 
then someone comes to get him and has killed to do so. He gets put in a limo where he meets Khonshu and Khonshu reveals that although... He has drip too. (laughs) He's got style. Although he has promised Mark that he would leave him and Steven alone, there is this third personality that Mark and Steven don't have any contact with who is still Moon Knight. And it is Jake Lockley, as we fucking predicted, and he kills Arthur Harrow. End. Yeah. Fiend. That. Wow. Jake Lockley also speaks Spanish. <laughs> he does speak Spanish, which was lovely. Wow. Does Conchie speak Spanish? Do you think he says, like, muy bien? <laughs> I, I mean, it does raise the point of they do have their avatars from all over the world, so presumably they speak multiple languages. Yeah. Or, but does the language, like, transcend where it's like, mm. it's like, oh, I'm hearing English. Right, right, but right. I would love if in the next season we step into, like, like, todos los días. <laughs> <laughs> this is a total aside, but Mark and I started watching Our Flag Means Death. And yeah. for whatever reason, the audio was in Spanish. <laughs> and we were convinced for the first five minutes of this show that the show was this just in Spanish. Spanish. <laughs> Did the did the voices match up? No, their lips were not moving in sync with the words, which is what gave it away. But then, you know, the setting was set to English. We had to kind of restart the, oh my God. the app. Yeah. But HBO we were sucks. pretty convinced that, oh, there's maybe they're Spanish pirates. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> kind of neat. Yeah. Oh, I do have one joke, which is... Um, this, is about a, this is about a Jane Campion movie that came out six months ago, so enjoy this. Instead of the power of the dog, what about the power of my gay nephew? <laughs> Just so sort of simmer with that for a little while. Copyright pending on that one. <laughs> if you use it, you have yeah. to pay us. <laughs> Jane Campion is going to, oh my god, we need a new title. Okay, okay. so Harold pulls Mark's body Out of the from the water. Yeah. Good stuff. That did get a little jesus vibes with his, his arms spread out in the water. Which, this was interesting to me because... In the last episode, we saw the, like, kind of purple lights falling down from the sky as they're on the boat with it, and it kind of seemed like Harrow had already resurrected Amit, and I was saying, like, I really appreciated that we didn't have to keep cutting back to him, we just kind of saw the effects of his actions on the world. Yeah. And now it kind of seemed like either those, these two episodes took place a little bit, like, overlapped, Mm -hmm. or... I don't really know what that would have been otherwise. Um, I feel like they probably did because one is Mark in the afterlife and one is Mark in the real life. Mm, true. And I guess there is a good period of time between when Harrow pulls Mark out of the water and when he then comes back to life. Because mm-hmm, we want to go back to the life. I mean, it sucks to see Harrow just like dawdling around so much, but we do want to see how Layla reacts yes. to Mark's death and what she does instead. Oh my gosh. This is... Um, Harrow has a line where he references whoever else might be in there, along with uh, Mark and Stephen. And then he also says, sometimes we need the cold light of death before we can see reality. And isn't that just the theme of the show? Yeah. It is. So then... Okay, I had a question. Yeah. Harrow leaves the scarab compass on Mark's chest. Yes. And then after he and his men leave, Layla has, I guess, killed someone and... Yeah. It seemed like Harrow could hear her and, like, knew she was there and yeah. yet didn't care. Yeah. Um, didn't, like, really want to engage with her because he knew that he was going to go do his mission anyway. Yeah. 
And then Layla goes to Mark and is crying and she finds the scarab on his chest and has a nice little Titanic mo- uh, moment of letting his body go into the water. Uh-huh. I know. I was like, <laughs> you didn't have to do that. But she then finds the scarab and she's holding it and it does its little thing where it like lifts off and hovers and it starts pointing. And it's like, where is it going? Where yeah. is it pointing now? Because then she just gets and like sneaks into his caravan and it's like, well, she doesn't really need the scarab to follow him. No. Like all she has to do is no. follow the crowd of people and then put her hood on and get in the truck. So I don't really know what the scarab was doing there or if it'll come back or... Yeah, I wondered if it had directed her somehow to Harrow's caravan. Mm. That, like, since he had the power of the, like, special stick now... Oh, yeah, his stick got bigger. Better. (laughs) But only incrementally, which was sending me that it was like, okay, it got a little better. A little better. But, yeah, I was wondering if it just, like, directed her to him and then she was able to, like, get there without, like, dawdling. Yeah. Okay, so do we think that this episode was kind of Layla's hero's journey? Are we going to make that argument? I will, I will. I I have a few problems with it, but I think we did generally get, like, the A, B, and C for her. Yeah, because we we get her in Hera's caravan. He kills everyone with his bigger and better stick, and she, well, except for one person who has passed this test, and then through the dead bodies to where it starts talking to Layla, as Mark slash Stephen requested that she do, telling her to go find Khonshu, and tells her, well, tells her to break the statue of Khonshu, which we had said that we really wanted to know what the mechanism was behind Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what Hera was going to do to free Amit, because then that would give us a sense of dread or anticipation or, like, something specific that we could picture happening that we didn't want to happen. And we used the example of, okay, if the Ushabti has to break, then we're on edge every time it teeters or every time it looks like it's going to fall. It was a breaking thing, and they totally missed that opportunity. yeah. But anyway, Tawera offers Layla the chance to be her avatar, and Layla says no. So we called this the refusal of the call for Layla's little hero. Bit of a refusal. Oh my god. <sighs> um, something else I thought was very funny is that the dead guy, <laughs> being Tawara, it was like exasperated. Like the number of times he kept having to re-explain, he was like. Uh, no, you could just do it. And I was like, it would be so tiring to have no energy in your body and still be, like, spoken to by the gods. So funny. Um, I really love to wear it. I think she is so charming. Um, so then he summons a big crocodile. Yep. Yep, they go into the pyramid and he summons giant croc lady. And something that I noticed was that the croc lady, because I wasn't sure if, like, since the hippo lady, like, doesn't have an avatar and, like, mm-hmm. kind of seems to walk in both worlds what the rules of her body were, but Amit has skin, and she comments on how Kanchu does not have skin. Yeah. She says he doesn't look good. Yeah. And he doesn't. No. But he actually kind of looks good to me com- compared to... How they make skin look. Yes, this is true. <laughs> CGI. But yeah, I, I couldn't figure out how Kanchu has lost so much of his corporeal body. I wonder if it has to do with his, you know, he's talked a couple times about how he was banished for almost exposing the other gods. And mm-hmm. I wonder if, like, he wasn't turned to stone, but I wonder if part of his banishment is that his body, I don't Ooh. know, aged yeah. or something. Yeah, or they, like, took away his skin. to like, no skin for you, dude. <laughs> 
you're a god and you can't die, I guess that's probably one of the Ugh. worst punishments they can give you. I love that he has, like, cobweb neck. Like, I, I love, love that it's empty and it just blows around. I It gives me, like, nearly headless Nick vibes. I'm like, did they try and decapitate him and it, like, didn't yeah. work and his head is just, like, floating on the rest of his body? I, yeah, there are so many unanswered questions about Khonshu, about Mark and Layla's relationship, yeah. about... What the hell was the jousting guy talking about? Yeah, why was he there? I mean, not that he wasn't great, and, you know, we appreciate that the actor had his chance to be in this show before he, you know, passed away, but why I really wish that they had done a little bit more work to justify his presence there, because yeah. that yeah. really just seemed like a complete isolated little side quest. Yeah, it really did. Okay, so we've got Harrow. He kills all the other avatars. And, oh, sorry. So I was going to say, this episode was so short. It was 44 minutes. Everything that happened, I was so happy about. I felt like they tied up so many of the loose threads. The ones that are lingering, like these questions, feel more, less to do with like, the plot and more to do with like writing choices that were made earlier as well as things that feel like they could be like fun things to explore next season or in a movie like what did happen with mark and layla when did they decide to get divorced like did that happen before or after steven came back you know how long has jake been around all this kind of stuff i'm excited to hear more about that but it did feel like they just kind of rushed through this list of points that they wanted to hit because everything happened so conveniently like layla was just able to hop in the caravan and then the first thing you know she basically is told okay you have to go you know to this chamber of the gods and get conchu's statue and break it so that you can release him and where is harrow's little group of people going to the chamber of the gods. All she has to do is follow them inside yeah. and then peel away from the group and go over to the little place where all the statues are kept. It was so easy. Yes, for how hard it was to get Ahmet's statue. Yeah. It was almost like inversely easy to get Khonshu's statue. Yeah. And I'm like, why would someone not assume that if you think Ahmet is like a conniving god who has people on earth working on her behalf, why would you not assume that Khonshu has the same thing and that his statue needs to be protected from humans because they're going to release him? That was, yeah, such a strange thing to me because we did spend an entire episode going into that tomb and, like, being in the tomb maze. And now it's, like, literally just walk into the Chamber of the Gods and it's right there. Yeah. And then, oh gosh, I, we had talked about like, maybe there was some sort of conspiracy of the gods. Oh my God. uh, What did you, what did you make of? They're just a bunch of dipshits (laughs) for no reason. And also that Colombian woman, they never paid off any of her information. Mm -mm. She never came back. Mm -mm. She never fulfilled anything. They literally just had a room of incompetent bombs that were like, well, what are we going to do? We're just mortals that have just all the powers of the gods. I never, I can't spend any time or effort to look into this. Well, also the thing that I was, I thought there was going to be something to do with the fact that we only see five of the avatars, even though there's supposed to be nine in the Ennead, minus Khonshu, minus Amit leaves seven. So where are the other two? And Steven, when he's working in the gift shop, names the other two. It's, um... Yeb and, uh... Okay, something else I just remembered is that when the guy in the suit, like, the other American guy was like, 
oh, well, we gotta get Ahmet in a mortal body, and we're gonna need way more avatars. I didn't think that he meant way more avatars as in you two need to do it. I thought he meant we're gonna need 10 avatars yeah. to overpower Ahmet. And instead, they all just like went back into their little chairs and didn't participate at all. And I was like, are you telling me that all these people have fucking suits and superpowers and they're sitting around letting Mark and Layla do it by themselves? I think that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and they were so baffled when they were like, someone's trying to release Amit. And it's like, yeah, Kanshu told you that like two episodes ago and you also, didn't Also, doesn't Harrow seem like that kind of guy? Like, don't you guys have some sort of way to be like omniscient and find this out? Because like, Tawara could literally just occupy any dead person and find Layla in like two minutes. You're telling me the other avatars couldn't like look around and be like, hey, you guys see anybody with tattoos around here being weird? Yeah. And just like find out what's going on in the compounds? And my only theory was that like, they probably knew Arthur Harrow when he was the avatar of Khonshu. Like, at some point, they all seemed to know one another. So at some point, if the Ennead had assembled and Harrow was the avatar of Khonshu, they knew him. They maybe trusted him. Yeah. And that's why he was allowed back in the chamber after, you know, he's like, oh, I proved you, you know, I was right about Khonshu. Yeah. But I... That, yeah, it seems so weak to me now. Okay, Geb and Shu are the other two. Okay, nice. Um, and Steven names them on the poster, and they never show up, and so I was kind of like... Huh. But yeah, they're just, like, shocked that Harrow is trying to release Amit, and that just seems so odd to me, because I'm yeah. like, first of all, you've been told. Second of all, like... You're the most powerful beings on this planet or something? Yeah. Like, Do you not, like, have a spidey sense for yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah. But all right. So then we find out that Harrow does, when the crocodile comes out, she confronts him and she says, like, you're not balanced and you're not good enough, Mm -hmm. but you did save me and so, like, I love you and I owe you for that. And he says he assumed his penance would correct his balance. Yeah. The glass and the shoes. Oh, I loved it because I was like, I figured it had to be some sort of weird masochist thing and yeah he cuts his feet to try to make himself be better and something else i wrote down is that harrow is a himbo for the (laughs) rules because he just loved it like he loves doing the glass in his shoe he offered to die for amit like he was like he's really i understand you need to eat my soul because i'm bad but i've cultivated thousands of other followers who have perfect balance so you can go take them and she was like no i'll still keep you i like that she was like no no no, it's fine like i have rules but i'm not like that kind of rules well and that was so interesting too because it reminded me of like you know people who are in cults who are very very obsessed with like the structure and rules of the cult and then you find out that the cult leader actually does not have these perfect morals that they're preaching and that everyone else is preaching on their behalf and I wrote down, Amit needs an avatar whose scales don't balance no shit. She says that the last time she had an avatar, presumably Alexander the Great, and his scales were balanced, he didn't like what she was doing because, no kidding, and she ended up trapped in stone for 2,000 years. But also, is Alexander the Great, like, known for being a good no, guy? No, so. <laughs> he was an emperor. I don't know if any of them are good people. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing imperialism, you're doing killing. You're doing like- bad. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, she 
she says, for whatever reason, it's Alexander the Great, uh, his scales balanced and he didn't like what she was doing. And so he turned her in, like the other gods said. And so she, you know, Hera was basically saying, okay, well, you know, I have done this penance to make up for what I did basically for Khonshu. She says, no, no, you're not balanced because of what you're going to do in my name. Yes. And she, yeah, she needs someone who is morally compromised because who would have thought killing half the world's population is not a morally balanced act. Yeah. Okay, something else I wrote is um, Hera want to kiss that gator so bad. (laughs) He does. He was just looking at her when he was sweating and just being so pensive and she's rubbing her scaly hand over his hair. He was like, oh my god, I just want to kiss her. How do you... (laughs) I love, like, do you kiss a gator like this or like this? Where it's like, do you kiss him right on the tip of the snout or do you kind of go for the side where you can get a little closer to the eyes, you know? Oh, too many teeth. <laughs> and they're all on the outside. I don't think I would kiss a gator. That would be his penance for all the bad things he's going to do. He gets a little teethies on the face. A little teethies. I do think that Steve Irwin kissed a few gators in his time, and I think he, I think he went for the top of the snout. Mm, I like that, like a dog kiss. Yeah, but that was more of like a, this is my dog kiss, not a... Wow, I'm obsessed. I'm with this romantically goddess. interested. <laughs> um, oh goodness. Okay, <laughs> so Layla releases Kanshu. His literally again. This is one of those things where it just it was so efficient. The first thing he says is, "I don't sense Mark Spector." It's like you're not even gonna say thank you. <laughs> no small talk. Just cut to the chase. I don't sense Mark Spector. And then he immediately propositions Layla. And we had wondered if she would maybe be into it. And she's like, are you fucking kidding me? You turned Mark's life into a waking nightmare. So. You know, I I can see how she would think that. But I was still wondering if, like, you turned Mark's life into a waking nightmare. But you're my only option. Mm. And Mark is the love of my life. Like, I will do anything for Mark. And it seemed like she was like, well, I will do, maybe she would do anything. But she did sort of have a standing offer with Tawaret. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. She does take her up on that. So maybe that was the better option. Yeah. He says only an avatar can rebind Amit. And then Kanchu goes and he stands in Amit's way himself, which I kind of appreciated. You know, we, he is a selfish, manipulative asshole. And yet, this is the second time we've seen himself put, like, seen him put himself directly into harm's way. First with the, you know, he knew he was going to be turned to stone if he turned back the sky. And now he, you know, is going to fight Amit hand to hand or claw to talon. Uh, Little bones. Little bones. And, uh, yeah, you know, he's got a little bit of uprightness in him, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I actually really think some of the conversations that he has with Amit throughout the episode are these really interesting, like, ethical and moral discussions. You know, like, they're sort of willing to engage in the, like, what is the best way to proceed with humanity. Yes. Um, And I found it a lot more compelling than anything Thanos had ever said. I agree. I don't know if Thanos' thing made sense to me. But this was interesting, too, because we kind of see the relationship between Amit and Khonshu, and we get this sense that, like, 
they've known each other for a very, very long time and have been having this argument for a very, very long time. And maybe we're romantically involved because she says to him at one point, like, we could have made this our paradise. Yeah. Join me kind of thing. Yeah. We could rule this place side by side or whatever. And uh, he's, you know, too too morally fixed on his position to be willing to do that for her. But I did, we talked about how Haro and Amik, I mean, Haro and uh, Kanshu kind of had the bad ex-boyfriend kind of vibes and yeah. maybe he was channeling. Uh, yeah. I uh, couldn't go it over his ex. <laughs> so then we cut to Mark. He's standing in the field of reeds. And we get this very clear moral of the story, which is that, you know, the classic, what you think you want is not what you need. Mm-hmm. And it is laid out so explicitly. Tawarit says to him, this is the peace you've always wanted but never had. Okay, so that's what he thought he wanted. He says, but what about Stephen? That's what he had to sacrifice to get here. She says, enjoy your peace, encouraging him to, you know, accept the thing that he thought he wanted. He says, we need to go back for him. She says, you don't need him anymore. And he eventually cannot accept peace if it comes at the cost of Stephen, even if it means he will never be able to return to paradise, because that is the rule. If you leave the field of reeds, you can't ever go back. And that, to me, was just this, like, I mean, you know, beautifully and efficiently put, and it's a great scene. And I love Mark, and he's such a good guy. And the fact that he recognizes that he and Steven have saved one another is just like so touching. And it was also just funny to me because I started writing these things down of like, oh, this is the moment in the story uh-huh. where he like yeah. realizes this thing. And then they kept using the words like want and need. Yes. And I was like, oh my God, yes. I could not be clearer. <laughs> I am refusing this call and I'm <laughs> going to accept it later. <laughs> I can't wait until I get to my ordeal. <laughs> I wonder when I'll approach my inmost cave. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah, but Mark is just such a good guy. Um, uh, Okay, then we have this. We cut to another scene between Khonshu and Amit. They're having this philosophical discussion. He's calling out her hypocrisy and basically... I don't know. Is that the scariest thing that's ever happened to me? I don't know what that was. I know. I'm like, do I need to go look at that? Oh... Excuse me, listener. <laughs> we're uh, we're investigating. I didn't even write down what their conversation was here. I don't know if we need to rehit it other than the fact that, yeah, they do have some really interesting moral discussions. And I, I tend to think that, like, discussions that happen... I'm dying. Rebecca's talking without me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just trying to, you know, <laughs> fill the silence while you investigate the paranormal activity. It's fine. There's none yet. <laughs> Konshua has some has some input on the pod. But no, I I tend to think that, like, Act 3 is not necessarily the place for long, drawn-out philosophical discussions, but I do think that, thematically speaking, it really did fit here, and this is the first time that we've seen Kanshu and Amit talk face-to-face without their avatars as intermediaries, and I think it gives us the opportunity to kind of, like, get at the heart of, like, what is their moral position, like, unencumbered by human desires, like, I want to protect my wife, and... I'm hot for Gator. Ooh, I'm going to put a copyright yeah. on that one, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, with that, should we actually take a break quickly? Oh, yeah. What do you got in mind? Nothing. It's about to be a commercial. Oh. <laughs>
Today's episode was also brought to you by Friends of Friends Recording. They have a recording studio in Humboldt Park in Chicago, and they have a, you know, full ISO control room, um, you know, multiple booths, kitchen and lounge, and uh, in-house engineer. You can, uh, Brock, who mixes and masters these episodes, can help you mix and master uh, your own shows. So uh, please feel free to reach out to them if you need a recording space or if you need an audio engineer. Um, you can find them at friendsoffriendsrecording.com and you can also find them on uh, Instagram at friendsoffriendsrecording. Thank you. Yeah. And we're back. <laughs> um, we had a good laugh. And um, now Mark and Steven are in the sand, and they have a really great conversation, or I guess it's a one-way conversation. Mark has a really great monologue (laughs) about why he needs Steven and why he loves Steven, and he apologizes to him for not being able to protect him, and so I think this was also a really efficient, like, the things he never got to say to his brother, the Mm -hmm. things he never got to say to himself, the things he never got to say to his mother... He gets to say to Steven, yeah. because now, essentially, all those people are dead. Yeah. His brother is dead, his mother is dead, and he is dead. And so you really have to start forgiving some people from your mortal toils. <laughs> Except his dad is still alive, so... I know, and he maybe should more be more mad at him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the other thing that I wrote here is, number one... His love unsands Steven. Yeah. That was so sweet. Then um, I have maybe the real superpowers were the dissociative identities <laughs> we had along the way. <laughs> because he says, I don't need superpowers, Steven. He I... says, you're the only real superpower I ever had. Ugh. Which is not true because he had a real superpower from a real Egyptian god. I don't know. I won't get caught in the weeds on this. But it, no, I mean, I, to me, I took that line as basically the writers telegraphing to us that like, Mark as Moon Knight without Steven is not the superhero of Marvel Comics. Like, Marvel's Moon Knight is Mark Spector and Stephen Grant. And in yes. order to be the superhero that he is, he needs Stephen. And so in that moment, I was like, oh, Stephen's getting unsanded. Like, yeah. he's gotta. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, like, even though the suit saves him from, like, this constant death and pain, mm-hmm. Stephen is the one that saves him from all of his, like, emotional toil. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the superpower that, like, kept Mark from taking his own life. Yeah was that he had some way to escape the darkest moments. Oh, gosh. It was so sweet. And and so then what I wrote is, um, what if my two identities kissed? Loki and Sylvie. Marvel's it done it before. happens. I think that would be really sweet. Yeah, maybe the real boyfriends were the dissociative <laughs> identities we had along the way. Sorry, Layla. <laughs> he does have a lot more intimate moments with Steven than he ever does with Layla. This is I true. mean, I know they're like getting divorced and they're mad, but by two Oscar Isaacs, there is nothing more that you need in a relationship. Oh no, I wrote down something that is so hard to understand. <laughs> I wrote, "He sets up the rules." Fuck me. <laughs> he sets up the rules. What does that mean? I assume at some point they say like, "This is what we're going to have to do to do this." 
and like someone is explaining the rules of something, but I have no idea. I don't know. I just wrote, the doors open as light glows between their hands. They both get alive. Oh, because Mark is being turned into stone as he's making this, or sand as he's making this monologue too. Um, they have like a nice little exchange. You came back. What the hell is wrong with you? And then he like, had a whole little speech and everything. And then I wrote, God fight. Yeah. God fight. God fight. <laughs> the gods are fighting. Nice little interlude. Okay, now Tawarit's coming back in a boat. Tawarit's coming back in a boat. They go through the gate. Mark's alive. And we get this interesting little flashback scene. It is mostly almost all scenes we've seen before. So Mark, like, comes out of the water. And then we get to see, I think there's a shot of, like, Steven watching the boys go into the cave. There's, you know, a couple more shots that we've basically seen in the last episode as he's going through all of his memories, like his most formative memories. And then there's one shot that we hadn't seen before, I don't think. And it is like Layla, like pressed against Mark's moon knighted chest, mm. kind of looking up at him. So mm. they do get a little intimate moment mm. there, which since they have been so mad at each other this whole time, I did think that we hadn't seen that scene before. And I assume it is from... At some point early in their relationship when Layla first sees him in his suited form. Mm -hmm. So I don't... That... She also says his moon is his best feature. So I'm sure when she saw that, she was like, whoa. Whoa. Nice suit. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely married the right man. Or maybe she married him. Maybe that was before they got married and that was... Whoa, you haven't seen a suit yet. <laughs> all right. All right. I'll say yes. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, bullets pop out of Mark's chest. He's suited. He looks more jacked than he has in the past. Yeah. And now Steven and Mark are a package deal. And it is everything I've ever wanted. They're amazing. It's, to me, like the final acceptance of the call to be like, neither wanted to work with each other. Neither wanted to be Moon Knight. Yes. And finally, they've agreed. They're working together. They're Moon Knight. Layla is going to be an avatar. Yes. And if you've been with us since episode one, you remember we were talking about what we were predicting for the show. And we kind of laid out this character arc that we foresaw for Mark mm -hmm. slash Steven. He was Steven at the time. And that Steven basically needed to be trusted and to not be the idiot, not be the like incompetent bumbling one. He needed people to see his value and that there needed to be this resolution, uh, this fusion of Mark and Steven. And we 100% got that. And it's so satisfying and so fulfilling because, you know, even when Steven died last episode, I was really upset and I was really hoping we'd see him again. And at the same time, it did feel like we had fulfilled his character arc because he realizes like, oh, he can fight. He can, you know, do everything Mark can do. And he, you know, is not useless. Mark needs him. Mark loves him. And that was just this, like, perfect fulfillment of, you know, what he really wanted in episode one was to be a museum tour guide. But what we, he <laughs> needed <laughs> was that. to be appreciated. And he got appreciated. And now we get to see the kind of fulfillment of that, of Mark and Steven just doing this little back and forth where they're just, like, constantly flipping from yeah. one to the other and yeah they're both conscious they're both part of this conversation with Khonshu and they make a deal that Khonshu will release them both mm -hmm. both being mm -hmm. the operative word here then Mark flies into the moon yeah well okay so I do want to say more just about yes, um, the fight and Layla becoming mm -hmm. the avatar 
So Layla becomes Tawara's avatar, mm-hmm. and I don't know why this is so upsetting to me. Tawara's avatar dresses like a bird? Not like a hippo. No, and I <laughs> almost, part of me is almost wondering if Layla in some script had become Khonshu's avatar. They both became Khonshu's avatar somehow. Mm. And that, like, in a late rewrite or something, this changed. Because I think that being the bird really mm-hmm. lends itself to being mm-hmm. Khonshu's alter avatar. Yeah. That, like, Moon Knight is the, like, you know, the dark, mummified, you know, sort of ancient Egyptian-looking one. And that Khonshu is, deep down, a bird. Yeah. It's a picture. And, I mean, maybe it wasn't even in a late rewrite. It was just in costume design and someone was like, we're sticking with it, we're running with it. Um, but I really wanted something hippo about her. Yeah, you know, I had a little bit of a different take, which was that there might have been some uh, fat phobia going on there, that, you know, a hippo is not a slender animal, and Layla is quite a slender woman, and that they thought that if they put her in some sort of, like, hippo-esque outfit, she would not be this, like, slim, conventionally attractive woman and that they were afraid of doing that, and so they just gave her some fucking metal wings instead. Yeah. I mean, the outfit was extremely hot. It was. Um, And I was complaining a lot about how her shoulders are exposed, because even though she probably has self-heal powers, the idea that she gets that fucking axe to an exposed arm, yeah. that arm is coming off. Yeah. And, you know, you have healing powers, but at what cost? You got to wear a little skimpy outfit. But no she way. Hot. She looked hot. But and yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm just like, there's so many costume designers that are so ambitious that I'm like, even Loki's outfit, like, I think there's so many good things about it that could have been Tawaret-ified, where it's like, okay, so like the leather, like convey the skin, yeah. convey that like thickness. And like, you know, they're deadly. They have this like really powerful bite. Mm-hmm. Like maybe she has like a headpiece with like huge teeth on it. I don't know. I think there's some way or like what if I do love the idea that like hippos are so big and strong like even though Layla is like a very slender person even if it was like okay she has like a death punch you know what I mean just like is an absolute tank you know you can be skinny and be a tank okay whatever but it I don't know there's something to me that felt a little like hmm are you kind of breaking somehow your own rules because Harrow's thing is also crocodiled up like it's super crocodiled up yeah oh I don't know I mean because I was just thinking like it's not like Moon Knight is super birdie other than like he's got his cape with wings nobody is super moony he is very moony yeah that is true so I guess uh yeah and Tawarat's thing is like women in childbirth and there wasn't that much of that in Layla's costume either no. Birds, I mean, I guess birds do, like, sit on their eggs. They're pretty good mothers in that sense. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm I wanted something else, because we didn't, we didn't see any other avatars, right? It was just... No, just them. Those three. Which is ridiculous, because we have a whole fucking god room of them. We have six of them sitting around on their bums. Yeah, and they just, they like being their people in their little suits. Yeah, the guy's like, well, you're gonna need more avatars than that to buy and dom it. And it's like, well, but not us. Good luck. Not us. We're dead. (laughs) Good luck, though. (laughs) 
Yeah, my comment on uh, Mark flying was, he fly like bat. <laughs> Harrow is on the pyramid. He makes it glow. Amit says, followers of Amit, judge everyone. And then we get mm. just like, it was very Thanos. Um, yeah. But we got a bunch of people with their little scale tattoos just grabbing random passersby and yeah. judging them. And then they're... Little souls are flying into the air, and she's just having a having herself a snack. Yeah, she's eating eating their souls, which is interesting because we had said like in the kind of like traditional Egyptian understanding of Amit, she consumes souls. It's not what Tawara laid out on the boat, which is like you just get like dumped overboard. Yeah, and so I do think this is kind of like fulfilling on that and yeah 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 she'd been so hungry for so long she was very hungry <laughs> she's a big crock for a hungry, hungry she crock. is and the souls looked pretty small you know you need to eat a lot of them if you're trying to be you know twenty thousand pounds <sighs> but you know and i know that there's like no new ideas under the sun but like we just saw this in shang chi we just had a giant soul eating monster that literally is called a soul eater yeah that was very big eating little soul (laughs) and i'm not i'm not i'm just mm. i do feel like marvel is kind of taking the same themes and continuing to run with them and i think it's probably because there's so many movies and shows coming out at the same time that they have this idea for like a theme like okay you know if there was some big bad who destroyed half the population in the universe and you've been powerful this whole time, why didn't you do anything to stop? Oh, well, we're Mm non-interventionists. And then you have six different writers working on six different projects at the same time, maybe not communicating with one another. And they all have this same thought of, oh, they probably are, you know, non-interventionists. And then you have six different shows and movies with the exact same excuse. And I don't know, maybe this like soul eating thing is a similar concept. I don't know. I just, I feel like. I mean, I think it's hard because they, they pull so many of these like stories and ideas from real ancient tales. Mm -hmm. That's true. And so I understand why you don't want to take too many liberties with it. But I think then we're getting to the point where it's like, okay, yes, you want to tell a story from ancient China. or Yes, you want to tell a story from ancient Egypt. But like, you have to look beyond the first most obvious and most prevalent story. You know what I mean? Like, so many stories are about, like, the afterlife or eternal life or, Mm -hmm. you know, how can we get justice or peace or whatever. And, you know, these cultures are so rich and have some of the most, like, long histories of any cultures and so I'm sure if you spent 20 minutes and you, like, talked to a Chinese person and you were like, okay, here's the most obvious choice for our movie. Yeah. We don't want to make that. Lead me to the second story. Yeah. And just start exploring, like, the third most popular story. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure it's like this in Jewish culture and it's definitely like this in Native culture. Once you get past, like, the three most popular stories, you now get into the most insane stories you've ever heard in your yes. life. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. But I am writing a book right now, and it does feature a golem, which is probably one of the most famous Jewish stories. And there's so many books that are coming out with golems, and I'm like, but mine's different. (laughs) How many clay people can you really read about? You should still read my book. Yeah, yeah. 
It is different. Yeah. I promise. No, it's really not like most other books. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've got Ahmed Eaton's souls. Nom, 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 nom. Layla has wing swords. We don't really know why. Um, oh, yeah. Ahmed wants Kanchu on her team. And I just thought that was, was such an interesting dynamic because I do love... This kind of feels like the opposite of, like, the enemies to lovers trope. It's the lovers to enemies that, like, you have two people who have this, like, shared history and maybe actually see things very similarly and yet diverge on this one key point and somehow have become enemies. Like, they both want to rid the world of evil. Khonshu wants to only do it after people have committed a crime and Amit wants to not even give them the satisfaction of committing that crime. It yeah. is such a minor difference, and yet it is the biggest difference in the world. A hundred percent. And I think that dynamic is so fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Steven fight with sticks. Yeah. I know. I'm like, well, I, I kind of didn't take close enough notes, apparently, for how many little things happened. Because what I have right here is that Mark loses the fight to Harrow and Kanchu also loses mm. which I remember yeah like I remember like Mark being pinned and Kanchu being pinned and I literally don't remember what happens because then I wrote they win what the hell okay what I what I remember from this was that so they're all fighting one another we've got Steven and Mark kind of flashing back and forth and they're going back and forth and back and forth and it's fantastic they are such a good team Layla is also contributing to this fight. They're beating up on Harrow, but presumably they all have these, like, godly healing powers. So <laughs> nothing really is... There's nothing at stake here, potentially. Yeah, that, like, they're just going to keep fighting till kingdom come and not injuring one another. Except, apparently, Harrow's glowing stick can injure Mark. Um, and so he is, like, blasting him with this purple light. Oh, he blasts a van that tumbles over and then this little girl asks uh, Layla are you an Egyptian superhero and she says I am she says it in Egyptian though right yeah yeah and um I thought that was really sweet because Layla did accept being Torit's avatar with the condition of it's only temporary and yes I'm like nah she no. wants to be a superhero yes which potentially means that Mark and Steven have given up being Moon Knight mm-hmm and Layla has continued to be Tuaret. Yeah. Which is a really fun, like, inversion of their dynamic where it's like, mm, sorry, I'm just going to, like, fight, you know, demons. You stay home, Mark. And Mark's like, me and Steven are watching a movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. What a sweet dynamic. I love them. Um, Okay, so Harrow pulls out his, you know, kind of classic. He says, Amit would have saved your brother and saved uh-huh. your family all this pain. And all they had, to, all she had to do was pull one weed from the garden, mm-hmm. i.e. kill Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, but this doesn't work on him, really, because he has already reconciled with Stephen mm-hmm. and kind of forgiven himself for his brother's death. And it doesn't really do much. What does do something is getting stabbed in the chest by the end <laughs> of this pointy purple stick. Yeah. And... Yeah, he gets stabbed, Amit stabs Khonshu, um, and then 
Mark goes into the Azeroth back dimension, and we wake up, and he's got a fucking hatchet That's pressed right. against Arthur Harris. I don't know how I didn't take better notes. I mean, I could barely take my eyes away from the screen. I was freaking out because he says, you know, Stephen, was that you? And it's like, or that wasn't you, Stephen, was it? Uh-uh. And at this point, Mark has is starting to get an inkling of, oh no, there's yes. a third one. Oh my gosh, is the phone ringing? <laughs> Is this someone calling inside the house? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, this, because, I mean, it's pretty clear when, you know, I rewatched, I don't even know how many times at this point. Mark doesn't know that Jake's there, which is kind of funny because clearly, like, he left the army in a fugue state. It wasn't Steven. It wasn't Mark. It had to be someone else who likes, you know, killing, presumably. And Mark just kind of treats it the way that steven has treated mark's presence in his life which is like oh i just woke up here and i don't know how i got here but that's probably fine yeah i mean i think for a long time he probably did think it was steven like there was like those really Mm. confused moments in egypt where they were like you did this and it was like no i didn't and so thinking that like steven is lying or being deceptive but wouldn't um, he have been shocked if steven was the murdery one i think he kind of was which yeah it does like seem to reason that you should figure out that that's Jake. But I also think like, how could I have two dissociative identities? You know what I mean? Like, you just kind of get to a point where you're like, no, 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 I sorted this out. I don't know. It's very exciting though, and I thought they brought Jake in in a really good way, because we were concerned that Mm -hmm. it was going to be like, oh my god, there's so many things. Like, I'm glad we didn't really talk to Jake. I didn't Mm -hmm. have to like, learn about him and decide not to reconcile with him, and we're gonna deal with that next season. Like, we stayed focused on, you know, Mark and Steven for the whole time. Yeah. And I think that this may be an unpopular opinion on the message boards, but I think that they introduced Jake in a really excellent way throughout this whole season because they have just been teasing him in all these tiny little ways, like from, you know, Mark and Steven both not remembering something to the way that Harrow says, you know, I don't know how many identities he must have. Just, like, giving us, you know, the sarcophagus, the second sarcophagus in that mental hospital where there's someone banging on it. Like, we have been getting so many indications that, yes, there is a third personality. And I just, I thought they teased that so well. I was so ready, so ready for Jake to show up. Yeah. But he doesn't quite yet you know at least not in a way that we recognize he's not called jake or anything and this time is also different because layla is like what happened she witnesses this and she's like what just happened yeah and mark says i blacked out and this to me was a huge step in mark's character development because on their little bicolored boat uh layla was confronting him about like you could have told me about steven like you could have said something to me and he was kind of like yeah it's not really what I do like I'm not really talking kind of guy and this time it seems like he's actually going to lean on Layla and accept her help and I don't know if that's because of Steven's influence or just because he's grown as a person but yeah I really hope that I mean I think both yeah right right, I mean one leads to Steven you know Steven helped him grow and especially now that like Not that you need to be a superhero to understand superheroes, Mm -hmm. but I think that there is this, like, sudden mutual understanding and, like, balancing of their scales 
to be like, oh, you suddenly understand like the gravity of this power and the responsibility to do good and save the world when I am presented with it. Mm-hmm. And like Layla, I mean, like we said, like Layla totally steps up into it. Yeah. Like she also is amazingly like adept at using her suit. Yeah. Um, you know, she's never had freaking metal wings before, but we see her at one point like wield them out because they're not always out sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just her arms yeah and so we see her at one point lift her arm up pop the wings down and start deflecting like bullets and you're like just amazing you know just a really great skilled fighter also falcon i'm sure he's out there one thinking like what's up with those wings i know because hers are a little cooler hers are a little cooler also and she did not have to wear dumb glasses (laughs) Where have they ever crossed paths before? Because they've both been in, uh... You say it. Madripoor. (laughs) Yes! Yeah, that's a funny Easter egg. I do hope they, uh... They come back, too. Yeah, which I'm like, God, there's so much of her backstory that we just don't know. Like, why did she know the collector guy? What was she doing in Madripoor? I know. At what point were she and Mark gonna get divorced? We don't know any of these things. And I wish we had spent so much more time on those parts of her story, even if they had to be at the jousting or in the in the tomb, because there were so many yeah. dumb scenes right. that we didn't need at all. And who the fuck is Alexander the Great? I honestly don't know. And there's also a scene in the in the tomb where there's they like focus in on this like mummy that has had snake skins stitched to its arms. I'm like, this better be coming back in season two, or else this came at the cost of some backstory for Layla. Yes, the whole the whole mummy protectors, the blue people who executed one of Harrow's people, mm-hmm. like they never mm-hmm. come back. Harrow never asks about that guy. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. It just it it sucked to me and it seemed like it was fulfilling some of like what we call like genre moments where yeah. it's like, oh, we just wanted to see the Indiana Jones mm-hmm. or the mummy. The mummy. Yeah. And to me, that was, like, kind of a big mistake because I'm, mm-hmm. like, you should have done way less of that, but, like, weaved it into Layla's story more. Um, and even if it's, like, super overwrought and expositional, like, whoa, my dad told me about these mummy guys. <laughs> and you'd I be mean, like, oh, okay. Well, and I think that kind of what we're talking about is, like, yeah, I get that they couldn't make the entire story happen in London in a psych ward. It is a story about... Egyptian gods and I think everyone would have been like how did we have a story about an Egyptian god and never go to Egypt like I do think they had to go yeah but they also had an opportunity to make the Egypt storyline about Layla's dad and I completely agree the first time Mark was there that he you know or his partner killed Layla's dad and he became Khonshu and you know to rather than spending an entire you know 50 minute episode 53 minute episode running around the tomb that we could have, you know, gone and seen some of those Layla's old haunts that are referenced yes. at the beginning of episode three. I also think that this would be an even better opportunity to, like, you know, we talk a lot about how in episodes three and four there was not the appropriate amount of refusing of calls. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, people were kind of just going along with things. Um, and, you know, it feels too plotty or it feels too expositional. I think those would have been some really good mo- points where, like, okay, if they had both gone to Cairo because, Mm -hmm. oh, we need to be in Egypt, if all of a sudden 
only one of them stayed. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, we actually are getting like a proper refusal and deviation. Yeah. What if Layla stays in Egypt to go to her old haunts and like she's hanging out in Cairo and then for some reason... Mark wants to go back to London to, like, figure out something with Harrow. Because it's like, oh, Harrow's getting this. Me and Stephen are going to go investigate. And I know at that time he wasn't really working with Stephen. But, like, I don't know. Just thinking of something where they wouldn't just be, like, moping with each other. You know what I mean? Kind of stamping around in unison. When I'm like, I want to see what you guys can actually do without each other. And then understand your shortfalls in that way mm-hmm. before I really am excited to see what you guys can do together. Yes. And I think that the same way that we had this like dynamic of, you know, Mark and Steven had to fight one another in order to finally like kind of reconcile. I think that, yeah, we could have had this like, you know, little two episode arc during the middle of the show. Yeah. Our act two or what have you and have this be the like miniature journey of Mark and Steven, or I mean, Mark and Layla's relationship. Yeah. And have them like, oh, okay, so this is, you know, they meet up again in London and Steven doesn't know who she is and there's clearly a lot of tension in history here. They don't get along. They can't work together. Yeah. And they have to go their separate ways and then realize along the way that they actually do need one another. Yeah. And then come back together so that by the time, you know, we get to Mark is coming back to life... Layla is just, like, beside herself and happy to see him. Because they do work really well together in this episode. But all that happened to kind of warrant that... Because she's not in episode five. All that happened to warrant their reconciliation was... She's yelling at Mark about having potentially killed her dad right before Mark is shot. And the only reconciliation they have is, oh, Layla doesn't want him dead. Mm-hmm. They're, they don't actually work anything out. They don't work out yeah, their differences. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I think, you know, rather than backloading that into, like, the very end of episode four where Harrow is like, hey, by the way, did you know that, you know, Mark had a hand in killing your father? Show us that in episode three or at the beginning of episode four. Yeah. Make this arc about coming to terms with Mark's role in yes. her dad's death. I also would have loved if, like... You know, Layla does something kind of uncharacteristic in, like, a fit of passion. You know, if she's totally buying what Mm -hmm. Harrow says, like, you know, what if they're going to get the Ushapti and Layla decides that, like, she's the only person she can trust and the only person capable. And so it's, like, she wants the Ushapti and she wants to kill Mark. Mm. Like, especially if only one bullet could kill Mark and one bullet could kill Steven... You know, does she try to get rid of Mark, Mm. take the Ushapti into her own hands, and try to save the world by herself? And then Tawarat is like, oh, Mark is on the other side, and he's having all these problems. And it's like, I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to hear from Mark. And so you get this, then you finally get what can Layla do on her own. Right. Not enough. She has to accept Tawarat. She has to accept Mark. Yeah. Then she has to forgive Mark. True. I, I do wonder if that would have been too much to have in the final episode. And so... Yes. No, I mean, I'm saying at some point, I think we should have just cut the Memmi episode. Yeah. It was fun, but it was unnecessary. Well, and I wonder if that could have even been the reason why Mark and Layla went their separate ways in Cairo. It's yeah. like, you know, okay, Layla has her old haunts. She knows what's up. She's the one who's leading the charge. And she suggests, hey, let's go to this place. 
but that has some sort of connection to her father and her father's death. And Mark's like, no, I don't want to go there because, you know, the same way he doesn't want Stephen to go into the, you know, attic room, childhood bedroom, he doesn't want Layla to go talk to this person or go to this site because it's going to reveal his connection to her father's death. Yeah. And that that is why they split and go their separate ways. He refuses her call. She refuses the call of working with him. And they just, you know, that provides us an an arc for those middle two episodes rather than just having it be this like fetch quest after fetch quest of like, okay, first we got to go here. Then we got to go get the tomb and then we got to go into the other tomb and then we got to get the statue. And yeah, I mean, cause we also never figured out when Harrow and Conchu parted and if Mm-mm. Harrow was a part of this mercenary murder. Mm-mm. We still have no idea. Because, yeah, that would also be a good opportunity to be like, well, don't talk to Hera without me. I don't. You don't need to work on this case. This is my case. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden we understand why Mark is always going rogue, only wants to talk to Harrow himself, only wants to fight Harrow himself. Right. Because he realizes he and Harrow are trying to keep this secret. Yes. And I think... So I do understand that maybe they wanted to keep more of Layla's backstory for season two... I get that. I do think that if it comes at the cost of your story arc in the middle of your season, you got a soggy middle, saggy middle. It's Bit not of a worth soggy it. Bottom. <laughs> but they just fucking killed Harrow. Like he's not coming back. Like why didn't we ever find out what happened with him and Kanshu? Yeah, I still. I wonder if he's not dead. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I guess we didn't see the body. Just because, yeah, Mark ends up not being dead, and Mark was killed with bullets, and so Jake thinks he can kill Arthur Harrow with bullets, and Arthur Harrow didn't seem that concerned about it. You know, he sits in, he's like, oh shit, it's Conchu, I'm in Mark Spector's car with his cab driver, Jake Lockley. Yeah, it does feel like it would take more than a bullet to kill a god. Because, yeah, it seemed like he needed to be killed with, like, a magical, um, object, like, I assumed he either had to be killed with his own scepter or Mark had to kill him with the moon piece. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if just Jake Lockley doesn't know the rules. But then you think Kanchu would, would tell him the rules. Yeah. So I don't know. It seems maybe we'll get Harrow in season two. Maybe he was just torturing him. Maybe he's just like, just shoot him. Just shoot him for fun. Shoot the kneecaps. Oh. Um. Well, before we get there, Layla says she knows how to stop Amit. They drag um, Harrow to the chamber and they start this binding ritual. They somehow know the words in ancient Egyptian. I guess maybe the gods are speaking through them. But yeah, they, I guess they form a circle similar to how the other avatars formed this circle and carved this Ushabti for Khonshu. They form a circle, except there's only two of them. And so the other pieces of this circle are the gods statue like not their little statues but like these big giant massive heads that kind of adorn the walls of the chamber and i'm like when these avatars died did the gods spirits go back into these statues or something i there's so many different statues there's so many statues i yeah i wasn't really sure how that was working but it functions um oh yeah and then Kanchu tells mark to kill harrow and they have this nice little conversation about vengeance, which is... I'm sorry, it's taken. It's Batman. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting, because I think that Layla is really the one who kind of stops Mark. And then Mark kind of comes to himself, and he's like, oh, yeah, no, like, this isn't actually vengeance. Like, you sound like Amit. You want 
me to kill him before he does something bad. Which I'm like, yes, and he's already killed a lot of people. Yeah. I know. That part was a little rich for me. Like, I think it's it's definitely hard to kill someone, like, when you have when that unarmed. power dynamic. Yeah. yeah, where it's like, it's so easy to kill in self-defense. And it's so hard to, like, execute someone. Mm-hmm. But I do think it was kind of necessary. But I guess their understanding was that, like, Harrow is kind of impotent. He's just a guy. Yeah. And Amit is in there. But I'm like, Amit was able to be powerful through him when she was a statue. Yeah. So when she's a human, I assume you're slightly more powerful than when you're a statue. Granted, his scepter is broken, so I don't know that they have, like, a magical method, but he does still have his tattoo, which I assume works. Yeah. I, it did feel like they didn't quite justify why Mark would not be willing to kill, especially because he has clearly killed before on Kanji's behalf. Yeah. Um, I really, I think, would have preferred it if we had a moment of Steven refusing. Yeah. Rather than... Yeah. You know, or even just, like, a kind of conversation between Mark and Steven of, like, you know, this isn't who we are, man. Like... Yeah, yeah, because I do think it would be one thing for Mark to agree with Steven, but I do also think that even though Mark has, like, grown, he seems to have, like, a really good sense of what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And I think that sense would lead him to killing Harrow because that is how we save the world from him. Um, yeah. I I agree with that, and I think that for Steven to have that kind of, to exert that kind of influence and to remind Mark, like, hey, you know, we've changed, like, if you want to be free from Khonshu, it's not just about being physically free, it's about being free emotionally and mentally from this, like, mindset of revenge. Yeah. And that that is why we can't do that and then you know then mark gets to make the choice of yes it's not because harrow deserves to live or that kanju is being hypocritical because he's not really like harrow has killed this yeah. is vengeance um but for mark to be able to say like no i'm done with this thing like yeah. i want to be free yeah. of you and therefore i am making this choice to yeah. not choose vengeance oh my gosh what the fuck do you think happened next the hospital yeah what, where? What is the hospital? What we don't is know. it? We don't know. Because there's multiple hospitals. They don't... They sometimes seem to be reality. Sometimes seem to be imagination. And it seems like... It seems like it is imagination. Yeah. Because at some point... Okay, I have a new theory. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've decided it is imagination. Okay, say more. So... Mark and Steven need to go somewhere when Jake takes over because they end up not knowing or seeing anything. And now that they've come to terms, they do know and see things. So they say things like, are you seeing this? And the other one says, yes. Like they're both totally a hundred percent conscious in their new arrangement. When Jake takes over, they are gone. And so I believe it is their mind sending them somewhere safe that is completely insular, and that it's not Harrow controlling them, it's them projecting Harrow. Okay. I I was thinking, I was also thinking, this is a mental projection, this is some sort of, like, safe zone, this is 
the part of them that like takes refuge in the idea of being insane, mm-hmm. that that is somehow like easier to believe, like kind of what we saw last episode where Mark's like, it's fine. I'm insane. We're insane. It's mm-hmm. That's fine. I'm going to go through there. There's bingo. We're insane. I think that that is like the easy answer for him. And so I do think, yeah, this is kind of like where he goes to process mm-hmm. everything. But mm-hmm. I love the idea that it's Jake putting them in there. My only question would be that I think that would conflict with our theory that Jake was the one with the smashed in nose at the beginning of episode five, that he, there's a version of Mark slash Steven slash Oscar Isaac in Harrow's office in like the first five minutes of episode five. His nose is completely smashed. He's got a black eye. Um, We witnessed no facial injuries and in every other scene before and after that, he is perfectly un- unscarred and untouched. Mm-hmm. And then he also, like, tries to stab himself in the eye in that scene. And so we were hypothesizing that maybe that is Jake because, you know, he's the stabby one who gets beat up. So if he- if that was him, I don't know. But that is a real place. Oh. Because that, so I think that there are some points where you're in the hospital in the mental projection, and then the final mental projection actually is the afterlife, and it's being interpreted, but then that's where everybody gets their own bodies. And so somehow, Jake escaped from his own sarcophagus, like, got into a fight, a fight, sits in the chair, pretends to be Mark, and then we never see him again, and he's he's lost on the boat. Wow. Okay, my mind was just blown hope this is true. Wow. I mean, that is some galaxy brain writing. I really (laughs) hope it is true as well. (laughs) Maybe I'm giving him way too much credit. Maybe. Maybe they're just like, I don't know. What if there's a hospital? Like, (laughs) he's a crazy guy. He's a crazy guy. Um, We do get this great scene of him talking to Arthur Harrow in the hospital, Dr. Harrow. Um, and Mark and Steven are just kind of doing this, like, back and forth. Every other line, the accent is changing. Oscar Uh... Isaac is... Give him all of the Emmys. All of them. God damn it. And then he, for a second, is, like, willing to believe, oh, maybe this is all my imagination. And then he sees Harrow's fucking bloody footprints. (laughs) Which, that was so interesting to me, because I'm like, he has never before bled. Right. He doesn't, like, have a trail of footprints or anything. And... It kind of made me wonder, like, how A, how has he not been bleeding this whole time? I assume he has amped up the glass. He has even more penance. Mm. He wants to be even more good by being even more bad. Wow. But this is Mark's projection of him. It is. And so maybe, yeah, so maybe Mark... Or Jake's projection of him yeah. or whatever. Uh-huh. Because then my other theory then has to be that Harrow is in a real hospital. Yes, I that do is think in Harrow the real in, world. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, yeah, so we get. We do go once back. Mark and Steven choose to save the world. They say, I don't care if we're crazy. I don't care if we differ. We, I don't care <laughs> if this is imagination. We're going to go save the world. They wake up in London and they're both still there. They're, you know, Mark's like, Steven, are you, are you there? And it's both of them. And they're still fucking chained to the bed. Which, I'm like, yeah, Jake. Jake fucking chained them to that bed. Yeah. Either this has all been a dream, or Jake fucking chained them to that bed. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. And they played the original song from the first day. 
Every day I wake up and I try to make up. Oh, Lonely gosh. as a man without love. Which, okay, man without love, where's Layla? Yeah. I expected she's her in... to, like, sit up in bed next to him. No, she's in Egypt. I mean, I think that's where our, like, unresolvedness comes from. Yeah. That, like, she's happy to save the world, but, like, she's mad, and this wasn't a good time to apologize or get over it, mm. and so she's now gets to start on her hero's journey and being the Egyptian superhero. Yeah. And so I'm sure she was like, I don't want to talk about it right now. Mm. And so she's in Egypt fighting crime. I do wish, though, that we'd gotten to see... Because I do love the, like, you know, kind of crazy, psyche, psychiatric, whatever aspect of, like, Mark and Steven are... Like, Conchie releases Mark... And then they're in this hospital, and then they're in their bed, and it's like, how did we get from point A to point C? And I do love how trippy it is, and I'm also like, wait, okay, but at some point he, like, got on a plane and left Egypt and, like, (laughs) said bye to Layla. (laughs) When was that? I want to see that. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I don't want to see that badly enough that I didn't, that I wanted this episode to be different. 20 more minutes of airport. (laughs) I just, I love Layla, and I just want to know what happened with her. I actually, I think I'm actually glad she's not there, because Mm. I think this story to me was, you know, especially if you go back to the pilot memento, like, you know, the call is coming from inside the house, what if the monster is inside me, like, the reconciliation was with Mark, and so, like, if you start with this, like, immense disconnect with Mark, you have to close with this, like, sort of funny romantic part with Mark where we're like joking that oh they're gonna kiss in the afterlife and like they are in some way going to wake up in bed together you know yeah like you have acknowledged that you're both there in the bed yes and I love that I and I do think yeah I think that stories have to be nested and like as you introduce more like kind of concerns and questions they have to be resolved in the reverse order that they're introduced. Um, and so I think, yeah, in that sense, we open with Mark or with Stephen waking up in bed, falling out of bed, being chained, and then we end in the exact same way. It's beautifully bookended. But I do wish that, like, you know, we also then got this, like, marital strife with Layla and this yeah. their relationship. And it did progress and we did see a little bit more, like, when, oh, I can't believe we didn't talk about this. Um, when Mark comes back to life and he and Layla meet again for the first time, she is like, they are, they like have this moment of like, I imagine, you know, you have a relationship with someone and then you're going through a rough patch and then both of your lives are put in danger. And then it's just like, none of that matters. None of our personal, interpersonal problems matter. I am so happy to just like see your face. Yeah. And Steven's there too and yeah. all three of them have this like beautiful little moment of like holding each other's faces like oh my god it's you and like that was beautiful and I just wanted there to be some little moment of closure like in the tomb before Kanshu releases Mark to just have some sort of goodbye or something with Layla of, like, the, you know... Yeah. I don't know. And maybe that, you know, that kind of unresolved thing is what takes us into a season two. But yeah. But, God, I just... I don't know. I just... I love the... 
the quippiness i love the like really ambitious directing of like we can't always figure out what we're doing or where we are um and i like that you know layla was introduced in a random phone call in the apartment Mm -hmm. and you know she leaves sort of the same way through the back door like she's living her life in egypt in the same way that she was living her life in london when we met her and i mean i do definitely want more layla and i do hope that like then she gets season two, you yeah. know? We hand the shield to her or whatever. I hope so. Oh, oh my god. Imagine if season two is... Layla is the main hero. She is fighting... She is tracking down some sort of killer who's leaving bodies in their wake. Who's the killer? And Mark and Steven <gasps> are helping her out. Who's the killer? It's Jake fucking Lockley. It's Jake. That would be amazing. Oh my god, I love that. I love that trope where it's the person who is assisting in the investigation turns out to have been the killer the whole time. Oh my god. And they don't even know that they're the killer. Oh god, it would be so good. Alright, Marvel, take notes. Yeah. Please do that. Yeah. We'll Um, give it to you on spec. (laughs) Truly, we'll write it for you. Yeah. I don't care. Um, okay, speaking of the cell phone, though, my three questions that I wrote oh my down God. during the credits were, where is Layla, where is Jake, and where, who the fuck is Duchamp? Yeah, I guess that's just an Easter egg for Steven, too. Yeah. People that pay attention can just fuck off, I guess. I mean, yeah. And I think that Duchamp in the comics is associated with, most with Jake Lockley. Oh, um, really? He's yes, Jake you said like, that. chauffeur kind of person oh no he's steven grant's chauffeur and jake lockley's a cabbie i don't know yes he's can you tell i haven't really read the comics sorry (laughs) i'm not a real fan yeah i'm just wondering if like this is something we're gonna get in season two and it's gonna come up in in the context of jake yeah that maybe someone jake knew also had this cell phone number and was also trying to get in contact yeah um God, okay. I also love that we did not get too caught up in the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. We really did not ever get the Avengers coming, you know. Which is still kind of weird, considering there was a giant monster eating souls. But I guess two avatars had it under control. We even had five more. I'm mad about that. I And I guess it did all happen very fast. Like, we did have giant, you know, column of purple light shooting out of one of the pyramids of Giza. Presumably someone in Wakanda would have seen that. Yeah. But it was over so quickly that I don't know if anyone would have had time to arrive. I guess. I mean, doesn't, like, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. and, like, don't, you know, isn't Fury always watching? Yeah. I don't know. I guess he's a fucking scroll right now and he's off on vacation land, but. Yeah. I mean, okay. And then tomorrow, we're, so, you are listening to this next week. You are in the future. We are in the past. Yeah. By the time you listen to this, we will have seen Multiverse of Madness. We're recording this Wednesday night. We're going to see Multiverse tomorrow. And right now, we're not thinking that Multiverse will incorporate Moon Knight in any way, just because they're already trying to do so much. And it would be pretty, I think, overly ambitious if they tried to, you know, because presuming that people who are going to see the movie haven't necessarily watched Moon Knight... Yeah. They would have to introduce America Chavez and introduce Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant. Yep. And do this whole thing with, you know, 
Doctor Strange fighting Wanda and also introducing Sir Patrick Stewart and the X-Men and like there's so much going on in that movie already. Um, who knows? Maybe by the time you're listening to this, you'll be laughing at us and we'll be eating our words. Um, but I mean, I have heard the story is immensely overwrought. I don't, I'm so upset. I can't believe people are like leaving opinions on the internet right now. I'm like, the movie hasn't even come out yet. Keep it to yourself. I know. I mean, I went searching for them. (laughs) I, I just wanted to know, like, I was like, do people like it? And I wanted them to like it more. Okay, I was clicking through Instagram stories. Uh, this guy that I don't even know, he's a writer that I followed, and I guess he went to the premiere because he's a lucky bastard, <laughs> and he posted in his story from the theater, 7 out of 10. I was like, what the fuck? Why would you do that? Ugh. Dang. Anyway. Um, we are not done with this episode yet, though. We no. still have our post credit scene. Yep. Um, we see a duck, rubber duck. I don't know what the significance of that is, but they... Mm do linger on it, and then there's another duck, and then Harrow says the word duck. Duck, duck, duck. Yeah. Go. Um, we get a cup of sand that turns out to be a cup of coffee, and then we have Harrow in a psych ward, and it's this beautiful little reversal of Mark yeah. and the psych ward. Yeah. Which... Is this reality? Is or this is real? This... Is this real life, or is this just fantasy? Yeah. Um, I... At first, yeah, I thought maybe he's dead because this, when we saw Mark in the psych ward first, it was, he had died and this was his, mm-hmm. like, projection of the afterlife. Mm-hmm. But unless Harrow is imagining getting murdered in his afterlife, uh, I don't think so. I yeah. think it is real. Yeah. Um, we are in Poland. Oh, good catch. Um, we are in, I'm going to murder this pronunciation, I'm so sorry, Sienkiewicz Psychiatric Hospital. And this is named after a real-life writer. Maybe this is also a Marvel character, in which case they're probably also named after this writer. Henryk Sienkiewicz. He's a Polish writer from the, like, turn of the 20th century who wrote a book called In Desert and Wilderness, which is uh, the adventures of a Polish boy and a younger English girl in Egypt. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. I just thought I'd look it up. So yeah. then, yeah, like we said, Conchu is dressed like Steven. Like, he's wearing this oh, extremely suit. dapper suit. Um, very funny to see a dead bird in a suit. <laughs> and because I assumed that he would be dressed more like Jake. Like, that he would be like, oh, we sort of wear the same suit now. But I guess Jake is a limo driver. And yes. so maybe Conchu's like, well, gotta fit the part. Yeah, he's wearing some sort of a, I don't know chauffeur outfit yeah fancy bird um and then yeah jake just turns around and shoots harrow which like i said we're not even sure that guns can kill but why wouldn't Kanchu stop that because Kanchu has a moon scepter yes i don't really know what happened with harrow in this scene other than we got to see jake which was lovely um, and I also love Kanchu kind of spelling it out for us. He says, you know, oh, ha, ha, ha. It was so funny how Mark thought that I wanted Layla. Like, oh, yeah. Why would I ever want her when he is so broken that he doesn't even, like, realize yeah. that when Kanchu said, I will free you both, he meant Stephen and Mark, but not however many other personalities yeah. he possesses. Yeah. Chief among whom is jake lockley yeah and he says I think his in, whole name first I, and last i think in the comic books there are still like five primary 
personalities like there's these three primary ones but then there's still five that are in a lot of comic books and i think there's like a ton of others interesting i was only aware of the kind of main three i guess I also know that there's a run of comics where, like, he has personalities that are, like, based on, like, Spider-Man and Captain America. I have heard that those were not the most popular Mm -hmm. run of comics, and so I can't imagine that they would necessarily do that unless it's, like, a throwaway joke where, like, he meets... Well, I guess he can't meet... I I mean, I guess he could meet Falcon, who's the new uh, Captain America. Yeah. And have some sort of, like weird mimicking line and Uh there's like this little throwaway joke about how like you know are you copying me but i don't i don't know if they would like go full on into the spider-man personality type yeah but yeah i wrote in all caps fuck jake is still moon knight he kills harrow yeah or does he i mean presumably he does but i yeah i'm i'm confused on the mechanics of trapping a god in a mortal body i know because it seemed like that would be such a big liability that she would be so powerful in there yeah also how did he get to poland who put him on a plane to poland i have no idea so things we still don't know uh the timeline of mark and layla's breakup that's a big one that i keep coming back to because i feel like they they seeded in a lot of these points in time like when layla first you know, has, calls him on the phone. She's like, oh my God, I thought you were dead. I haven't heard from you in months. To me, months is longer than two months. And Mark is very specific to Stephen about like, our lives began to bleed into one another two months ago. Yeah. So presumably, Layla has thought he was dead for longer than Stephen has been around. But Layla's also says to her, you know, mentor, mother figure type person, like, he was living right down the street from our apartment. Yeah. So she's been in London this whole time. Yeah, and I don't really know what she's doing there. Unclear. Other than, like, okay, they went and they stole the scarab from Egypt. They fought Harrow. Then they went back to London. I guess maybe Conchu started threatening Layla, and so Mark started pushing her away, and he was going to get a divorce, and maybe he left the country. Yeah. And then his mom died, so yeah. he went to the go to the Shiva, but then he couldn't face it, and then Stephen started taking over, and then he went back to London and never talked to Layla. That's the yes. timeline I've kind of put together in my head, but yes. I would love to get a little bit more flashback on that yeah. season two. Yeah, I know, and I normally hate flashbacks, and I'll say, okay, we can have a little flashback as a treat. Yeah. Also, whose flat was that? I know, because I'm like, I don't think his mom had a flat in London. No. I mean, clearly, like, he was constructing all of these pieces of, like, oh, I'm talking to her on the phone. I am getting these postcards from her. Like, all this stuff. So maybe he just found a flat on whatever the British version of Craigslist is. And (laughs) (laughs) was like, oh, yeah, this is my mom's now. I mean, maybe Mark found it for him. Who knows? Yeah. We also don't really know who the gold man was. Crawley. Yeah. Was this literally just a random man that just Stephen found everything. in a park? Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a a bigger kind of world building, not world building, but like a not a not a Mark specific question. But we were wondering if so if the location of Amit's tomb was hidden even from the gods, as Hathor's avatar tells uh, Mark, then who the fuck put the Ushabti in Alexander the Great's throat? He didn't put it in his own throat. No. But the other gods didn't know 
I mean, I assume it was one of his, like, devout followers who were, like, also had his strict moral compass to protect the world from evil or whatever. Maybe. But, like, yeah, I don't know. I still won't forgive him for the, like, mummified evil demons just wasting my time. I know, because we have so many questions about Layla and her dad and what kind of work he did. But interestingly, we learned that because we had wondered if he was a mercenary or maybe not a good yeah, guy. Yeah. But Torrent says that she took him to the Field of Reeds, so he was yeah. a balanced soul. Yeah. Which is nice to know. Oh, I actually I forgot I had one more thing to say about her suit, which is um I wished it was a bug. Hmm. Yeah, cause because they call her little bug. Yes, because it seems like even though we're like, oh, Moon Knight doesn't have a suit and that like moon like he's got like it was a really moon suit, he's got the mummy suit. But then you do get some agency in it, because when Steven thinks of a suit, he gets to wear a fancy dapper suit. And so I'm like, why couldn't she, even if she's the hippo god, get to have a little choice and be like, I'm a little scarab, just like my little daddy said. Are those scarab wings? Because I was wondering, but scarab, like, no, right? The scarab does have, the, like, the little scarab compass does have these, like, metal wings that come out. But it doesn't have, like, 12, like, feathers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I, I really wanted that to be the case, but I was like, that's just not what bug wings look like. Yeah. I it's mean, got, like, four. It's got, like not, like, 20. Now I a picture of this little scarab, because I do feel like those wings, I mean, I did read them as bird, like, I read that as feathers. Yeah. Um, but I do think that you could probably make the argument that those were... No, I can't. Really? I'm looking at them right now. Look at this. This is what bug wings look like. Okay, but look at this picture of Tawarit's, uh, necklace thing. She has got this giant necklace with this scarab. No, I know. These, like, I agree wings. everyone likes scarabs, but this is not... What Layla's suit looked like. No, but like that's not what the <laughs> that's not what the scarab compass looks like. They appear like feathers. This little hmm. scarab compass. I think that I think that those are supposed to be these little scarab bug wings. Well, my my opinion then is they should have done it better. <laughs> I agree, and I'm going with scarab, which I like a lot better than bird. I completely agree because I. Even when I saw it, I, I, they did not read a scarab to me. And so I was like, oh, we had this great opportunity for her to have wings to be the bug her dad always saw her to be. And he believed, like, Egyptian gods walk among us and he's going to be so proud of her. Yeah. And, like, making this great tribute to your dad. And it's like, bird. <laughs> Can't you, bird? I bird, too. Bird. bird. I did think... I did say uh, when we were watching that they really just wanted her to be able to fly into that scene. They did. They were like, okay, how are we going to get her from A to Z fast? We only have 44 minutes. We wasted all of our other ones. Kevin Feige said we're straight out of minutes. I don't know. Anyway, they could have gone bug harder, but... Yeah. She um, needs bug hat, bug necklace. Bug eyes. Bug eyes! (laughs) She and Falcon do have to wear dumb little goggles (laughs) to fly. She's got little bulbous ones with the iridescent reflection. Oh my gosh, like a little fly. Meep, meep, meep. (laughs) She makes little buzzing sounds and she takes off. (laughs) Oh my god. At any rate, we loved this show. It was so good. It was so good. And, um... Yeah, I'm just, I'm really happy to have watched it, and I'm really excited to kind of flesh out where we see the podcast going. 
yeah, um, yeah, trying to figure out like what our take is, what our thesis is on how genre television is related to one another. I guess should we make the announcement? Sure. Uh, this is not our last episode of the season. You thought it was, because this is the season finale of Moon Knight, but we have another episode releasing, um, within the next week, we'll yeah, say, yeah. uh, on Multiverse of Madness. Uh, we're going to be talking about the movie, introducing a couple little fun bits and segments. Um, it won't be structured quite like the shows because I think to kind of go through the movie like plot point by plot point would be like a three hour yeah podcast episode and we're not yeah. gonna do that to you um or for yeah, you yeah not I unless guess. you pay for it yeah. we'll do it don't don't lie <laughs> we'll put it behind the paywall um but no we are gonna do an episode where we will be kind of doing a bit more analysis of the movie making an argument of some sort yeah um, and we're really excited. Yeah. Less than 24 hours. Yeah. I can't wait. Um, I won't get into it too much because I was planning on making a big intra- Instagram post tomorrow. Um, but I just love Sam Raimi and I think he has a real reverence for genre TV and film. And like, you know, he brought us Evil Dead, which was like one of the few people who had so much reverence for horror film mm-hmm. that he made just this amazing cult classic. And then brought that same sensibility to Spider-Man. And, like, Mm -hmm. I didn't know that much about comic books or anything at the time. Um, But a lot of people talk about how, like, they felt like comic books were portrayed through this movie. Yeah. Um, And I think only a big nerd who loves genre could do something like that. And so I hope that for the next installment of the MCU, we're debuted with something that's, you know strange and scary and you know sort of uncanny in the way that only Sam Raimi can make we do have a lot of hopes I think for this movie as kind of setting the stage for the next phase of the MCU and I think you know we named our podcast it's all genre to me because Mm -hmm. we do believe that every single movie is part of a genre yeah um and I think that and that so many like you know cinematic and Oscar films take tropes from Mm -hmm. genre and don't necessarily give it their dues you know like they're like oh there's all these great shots and it's like okay if you're you know running a hand cam down a hallway even if it's not a horror moment like you can't deny the effect of sam raimi and horror yes um but people want to because you are dealing with an audience who have seen genre films and will make connections they will see a woman let a man slip into the water because he's dead and they'll think Titanic. Yeah. You know, you might not be trying to go for that, but you have to recognize that that's what people are going to associate with. And I think that a a mistake that people make is thinking like, oh, well, I don't want to do genre, therefore I don't have to study genre. But that's when you end up unintentionally replicating tropes. Yeah. And I think, you know, I have a ton of respect for Chloe Zhao as a filmmaker and a writer. And I think Eternals was so difficult to watch because it really read to me like she was not someone who was super familiar with or even liked superhero movies that much. And I I think that people have criticized the aspects of that movie that diverged from the superhero genre. And I actually liked those parts of the movie the best. I think the parts that I disliked the most were the fight scenes and the dialogue around like, you know, we got to go punch him up or whatever. And it just felt so generic because it felt like someone who had not 
seen a lot of superhero films and thought to themselves, hmm, what does a superhero say? And came up with the first idea that 800 other people have already written down before. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you want to defy genre or break genre, subvert it, you have to know what the rules are that you're breaking. You have to know what came before you so that you can be different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, I mean, even, like, the camera work to me felt so bland because Mm -hmm. I think it was trying to avoid so much superhero camera work and genre camera work. And instead it came off having no take where it's like, well, there's a reason there is an aesthetic and a style to shooting superhero movies. And even if you don't like it, have an opinion on it Mm -hmm. because this felt so cinematic where it's like, it's so, the camera's so drawn back. It's so, you know wide angle great scenery and you forget that we don't really know or understand any of these characters and there's eight of them and so if you only see them from 50 feet away you literally are like okay i'm watching them from the beach i don't know these people yeah my life literally takes place on a different plane than them yeah anyway we'll uh we'll give eternals a rest for now uh let us know if you want us to do an eternals um episode because we do have a lot to say about it as it relates to genre and the rest of the mcu but for now i don't know you got anything else to to say i don't i think i'm ready for plugs i have nothing to plug Except for my own social media. Yeah. Which is at Glazer Donut on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. I did post my first tweet since January. Uh, yesterday. It was plugging our Kofi or coffee. I really don't actually know how it's pronounced. K-O-F-I. It's a really cool website that lets you donate directly to content creators that you like. Um, you can donate five dollars you can donate twenty five dollars we got a very generous donation from a jake l whoa he told us laters gators oh my god and gave us 25 bucks uh because he liked the podcast so thanks jake and (laughs) uh you're welcome if you if you want to buy us a coffee yeah yeah i'll just plug our things because like i said you know we put a lot of time into recording and planning and you know editing and doing things in post brock mixes and masters every single one of these shows um and so we just want to make sure that everyone you know gets a little something to make it worth their while because Mm -hmm. um it's a passion project but we don't want to resent it for taking all of our free time yeah so with that said yeah check out our kofi um check out our instagram give us a follow um like and subscribe to the podcast leave us a review um check out our link tree where you can pay us on paypal or on kofi oh yeah we um have a link tree set up now in our instagram bio where you can make a request if you would like us to read an ad for you can Tell us it's your friend's birthday and we'll give them a shout out. You can tell us your friend is single and we'll read their Tinder bio. Really, truly, whatever you want. And so there's a place to put those requests in our Instagram bio. Yeah. Yeah. So with that said, um, yeah, like and subscribe and uh, we'll see you guys soon. It's all genre to me. (laughs) Did I do it right? Yeah. (laughs) We named the monkey podcast. (laughs) Bye. It's all genre to me. We're gonna need a bigger podcast. We could have been killed, or worse, podcasted. You know, I'm something of a scientist.
This episode was edited by Rachel Baldwin, mixed and mastered by Brockman Day, theme song written and performed by Rachel Baldwin, music created and mastered by Brockman Day, artwork by Rebecca Glazer.